0: Hey everyone, Brendan here. Just popping on before this episode because we have a little bit of housekeeping to do. First of all, our business is in classic Arsenal Pass fashion. The numbers for Road to Nationals wins uh, was released right after the podcast. So while I think we had uh, some good takes, you know, we were pretty spot on, uh, we were definitely not right about Kano. You know, I'll I'll happily admit that. just want to clarify that our opinions were... Uh, made before the information came out nevertheless i i still do maintain my position that i make in this podcast in regards to kano its viability for something like the pro tour and my considerations while playing it uh that being said the performance it had in the in the most recent road to nationals weekend was uh, unprecedented especially considering it's not really week one week one kano is like this you know it's kind of it's kind of cliche right like Week one, Kano can show up, spike a few tournaments. Well, that already happened. Uh, Majin Bay made it to second of tournament. Everybody had Kano on the radar. Nevertheless, uh, Kano takes down twelve. I think it was twelve roto nationals, the most out of any hero. So yeah, I will have to. I guess I, we'll reevaluate our 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 thoughts on the hero. Um, I think, and the viability of the deck into a meta that is expecting it. Um and yeah sometimes it just be it just it just is like that but i wanted to give you guys a heads up for you you went into the podcast anyway one other thing i do want to mention this episode is sponsored by our friends at magnolia gaming um and they were nice enough to write out some copy for us and I could, I could have read it out for you. I could have told you that they're your one-stop shop for all things flesh and blood. If you're looking for booster boxes, anything in lead-up to the Pro Tour, you can check out magnoliagames.com. They've got cold foils, gold foils, everything you need. And also at almost every single event. But I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do is tell you a story. The story is U.S. Nationals number one. Myself, Hayden Dale, uh, Zach Bunn, all these people were there at U.S. Nationals, number one. Some of us don't make it to day two of the event. Classic. Uh, this is it's kind of starting my lose streak in Flesh and Blood. But what we do is to play The Calling. And um, you was know, a little person named Tarek Patel brought a Briar deck to U.S. Nationals. It was very popular. You know, I think it was maybe undefeated in Swiss at this time. I was like, I want to play that deck. I want to play that deck for The Calling. I don't want to play my shit Briar deck that I just lost with. I want to play the good deck. Um, I needed some cards. And I didn't really need... I didn't need some Majestics. Nah, I didn't need Plunderuns or channel Not Heroic. I needed Yellow Ravenous Rabble. As you can imagine, uh, there wasn't a lot at the booths. So, uh, Mr. Hemlal Patel of Magnolia Games um, went very much out of his way to find nine Ravenous Rabbles, Yellow, in these cracking boxes after boxes after boxes um, to get nine copies for myself, Dante Del Fico, and Hayden Dale. Save the day. With those nine Ravenous Rebels, we ended up going, um, I think it was like X1 in Swiss for Dante Del Fico, and X2 for Hayden. Um, And I either went X2, losing earlier than Hayden, or ultimately went X3. I think I may have lost the last round as well, once I died for top eight in the round before that. But we almost all three of us top eighted. Almost all three of us, which was pretty crazy. Um, It's all thanks to those Ravenous Rebels. So, yeah, big shout out to Magnolia Games for sponsoring this video. Shout out to hemlaw for helping us out at U.S. Nationals. And yeah, thank you all so much for listening to the episode. Thanks for listening to the rant, the story. I hope you enjoy this episode. And don't forget to use code ArsenalPass10 when checking out at Magnolia Games to let them know that you came from the podcast. You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players
1: by players, and all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello everyone, welcome back to Arsenal Pass, episode 150, Hayden Dow here with Brendan Patrick. As always, Road to Nationals week one is in the books, Brendan, I don't know, what have you been hearing out there about Road to Nationals?
0: I don't know. I heard some good things in regards to... I recently saw Ethnic Smoke post that Kasai was giving him Isolander vibes, so I was like, okay, there's hope. <laughs> there's hope in this format. Um is like that one deck on my radar that I haven't put uh, very much effort into testing that I actually have faith in. <laughs> Most of the other stuff, it's like, okay, I mean, somebody said this is good, but I really don't see it. Kasai, Kasai I, have, I have hopes in uh, right now. Um, other than that, uh yeah, mostly been sick to be honest. I was down in Austin for the marathon this past weekend but I didn't run. Uh so yeah, no road to nationals for me. What about yourself?
1: Uh I've been away, so I've been traveling. So you can see beautiful hotel room by me if you're on the video platform traveling this week for work. Last week I was back home in New Zealand for uh a friend's engagement party. So nah, no no road to nationals for me this weekend. I'm kicking off my road to nationals this coming weekend with a draft road to nationals, and then a class constructed road to nationals. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of what we've been hearing and seeing so far. But it looks like a pretty interesting meta game. It looks, I mean, week one the road to nationals often, or even pro quest season when we a new set drops, we often see this kind of uh, what you call it, like a settling of the meta. You know, what are the top decks? I mean, KO was the deck to beat coming to this weekend, right? But obviously, Prism won the battle hard in the week prior. Um, you know, yeah. especially to what Kasai, I think Kasai is a deck I've also been hearing quite a bit about as well,
0: and, and it sounds like it won a few, few Road to Nationals over the weekend as well. Uh, I guess I just have some updates from last week because we were like, okay, we, are testing Prism right after this episode and all these other decks we had queued up. Well, I tested Prism. Um, I would love to hear how that deck doesn't get dog walked by KO. It was pretty bad. <laughs> like, it was uh, it was not close uh, at all. And we tried switching up pilots uh, on multiple people on Prism. It seems like the Prism, for me, at least in my experience, the Prism deck is, I guess, decently convoluted. So maybe we're missing something. But our experience with Prism was that it was not good into KO. And I, I don't think I would pick it into a KO dominated field um, at that. Yeah.
1: I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Like I haven't haven't had a chance to play with Prism yet. It's not to be honest, it's not high on my radar just from a a point of what I'm interested about the deck. Um I've heard mixed things about that that K matchup. Obviously, you know, kind of the the pop, the true pop account being a little bit lower maybe helps Prism. Um but you know, you still play a lot of natural sixes in that deck uh and you can sideboard into into <laughs> yeah. more as well so
0: Pr- prism also it's, starts um, at kano's life total with almost right yeah it's that's like a tough thing so prism has like these uh these figments that can come down and reduce those six attacks or the pseudo six attacks and ko down to five which can get rid of a lot of boppers uh, and on top of that it can play herald of triumph which puts it even, minus one even more so there are some cards that get around that, like swing big, um, that are cons- there are still poppers in every scenario, but nevertheless, like it can deal with poppers, I guess, to an extent. That being said, we're talking about KO here. KO is a deck that does a metric shit ton of damage, and that hero starts at 32 life, and it is not doing Kano level stuff. Like it's not, period. Um, it is not doing Kano level broken stuff like with Aether Fire. And I think that the life total is too low for a hyper-aggressive deck uh like ko that can output so much damage and at the same time if prism doesn't find those key pieces like doesn't find herald of triumphs on like the right turn um i mean it just gets popped all the time the deck does almost nothing like it's not great interesting you
1: refer to ko as a hyper aggressive deck that's kind of not i don't know it's not I really, really my i think i meant d- d- to d- say
0: it can output like a lot of damage right uh, if you start at 32 life yeah, I and the that- bones is a card Cast bones is a card, but also swing big. I mean, there's, I guess hyper aggressive. You're right. Is not the not the correct way to put it because it does function a bit more mid range in practice. Mm. But I think in terms of the actual output of damage, like it's a lot. It's a lot of damage. It's
1: consistent as well. Yeah, it's consistent. It's consistent. It's consistently a good amount of damage. I would yeah. say. Um, we're going to talk about kind of as we get into the main topic of the pod, uh, reflecting on Road Nations Week One. We're going to talk about some winners, losers, and kind of some. I don't know, some 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 heroes that have stayed the course, I guess, and, and talk a little bit about what's kind of shaping up for week two. But I want to talk a little bit about Brutes in that regard because there's, there's, a, there's a Brute that's surprised me a little bit, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, why don't we give them some news first, Brendan? hmm Go for it. National Championships has uh, more information has been released on National Championships. We now have the new ELO combined leaderboard out. I don't know if you, have you checked
0: this out, Brendan? Uh, no, but I see that everybody hates it pretty much, <laughs> everybody's complaining
1: <laughs> i kind of i see i think i misunderstood i thought when they said they were going to introduce the overall elo board they were still going to keep the limited and constructed i didn't realize they were just going to merge them and not keep the separate leaderboards did you know
0: that uh i i actually expected that they would merge them yeah i that's what i expected
1: yeah i for some reason i thought in my head it was like a third elo leaderboard getting added because it's like well you know got players out there who are limited specialists constructed specialists you still want to reward them but yeah, I, I guess I'm still kind of processing the fact that now we just have this overall Elo um, ranking, and and obviously that that changes things quite a li- uh, quite a bit just because of the fact that they've you know, of course gone back and calc everything, and and um, that means that you know you might have been high and draft a little bit lower in CC that'll shake you out. Possibly somewhere in between, but not necessarily as well because of where you
0: won or lost your ELO. The ELO board Um, used to be combined as well. (laughs) It actually switched after the Calling Vegas. They didn't give us any notice that that was going to happen. For instance, I was at the Calling Vegas. My ELO was very high at the time. Um and I went five two, made it to day two and decided to drop and play the battle hardened because it was not worth I had no chance of top eight. There was no it was not worth for me to put my ELO on the line because the K values were uh pretty rough for me at that time. Everybody else was very low ELO <laughs> in comparison because I had played in 20 in the 2019, 2020 tournaments. Um and yeah, they they just kind of swapped it randomly and I was like, Oh, that was completely useless because all my ELO wasn't limited, so it wasn't in constructed. Uh anyway. Yeah, I just I just wanted get to wanted to point. Back now. <laughs> I just wanted to point <laughs> out that it, at one point it actually had it started out as a com- as a combined leaderboard, which is funny that they, yeah. they switched it back.
1: I don't know. I like the change. I liked the I liked having the split leaderboards. I felt like you could look to those players in certain categories, you know, whether it be the constructed side, or the limited side, and, and kind of potentially.
0: Yeah. What, what was the reasoning? Do you know? Like, I didn't read any of the like any of the posts. Was there like a solid like logical reason of why they did this and why they think it's better for the game?
1: Mm, the thing that i kind of saw mostly pointed to was around like ratings based event invitations as kind of the 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 main reason to reward the the combined players but um i guess kind of when it kind of popped up that they were going to make this change it wasn't necessarily the thing that i was focused on the most i just i I guess again i just kind of thought well okay cool they're going to add an extra third you know leaderboard this combined leaderboard which will they'll base invites off of which you know kind of makes sense to me but you still have limited and constructed but um hmm. not to be the case
0: i think that people are starting to realize that an elo system is <laughs> i you know i said people are starting to realize based off all the complaining i've seen on twitter it seems like people are starting to realize that an elo based system like this uh is maybe not the greatest for a game with variants which is what flesh and blood is even though it's on the much much lower end compared to other card games um now you see a lot of top players are like, Oh, I top eight worlds and I got 20 ELO or something. And then I went nine and one in a road to nationals and I lost yeah, basically an equivalent amount of ELO. And that, that is what it leads to. Like. We talked about this years ago at this point, um, where I think it was with one of the, it was either the second or third Road to National season, uh, due to both of our ELOs being inflated, when they added Road to Nationals and ProQuest as ELO events, because they didn't used to be, they used to be XP only events. Um, there was going to be, uh, we were going to be faced with decisions where it would be almost strategically, uh, it would be an objectively incorrect decision to actually play these events, because you would almost guaranteed lose ELO. And I think that people are encountering that same situation now.
1: I mean, I my kind of view since then has been that it, it doesn't really matter. Just play the game. Because the ELO, I guess there is there is obviously invites, but if you're playing enough that your ELO is high, you've probably got a bunch of invites from other things anyway. So um, I don't know. I, I do agree It's not it's not a perfect system. And I think long-term, you know, like I look at Magic, they use an ELO system for like 10 years, 10 years plus, maybe even 15 years, and they switch to like a a I guess a high tier point system based on what level of uh event you played at that kind of led to these kind of like quote-unquote pro points but yeah yeah. I
0: thought that system was uh I haven't played with it right I've only seen it in theory Mm -hmm. but it looks in my opinion that system looks much more healthy and rewarding but I, I haven't played with it so I could be wrong (laughs)
1: I'm sure there'll be things to to change and come Um, in terms of nationals and road to nationals. So if you are looking for kind of uh, your nationals and understanding how you can qualify for your nationals, especially now with these combined ELO leaderboards and how many spots are there? Well, if you go and check out on um, fabtcg.com, there is a kind of article just breaking down invitations to national championships. You can see the event cap uh, player cap for your country, just to understand, okay, where might I need to be uh, in terms of getting an invite to this nationals with the playing road to national season, which I assume that everyone will be, uh, but also what you might need to do to get on that ELO leaderboard. I guess something else exciting, Brendan, in the works, I don't know if you saw, but fab to South Korea. Flesh and Blood has announced that South Korea is the next region that they're entering with organized play support kicking off in March. I know just for now, English language only, but of course we've seen, you know, the Japanese printing of, of Flesh and Blood and an expansion to Asia. So I think it's super exciting. I mean, Korea's a, South Korea is a pretty big market.
0: Yeah, I think that the... The biggest expansions to the game, or like the largest growth in player base, will be tied to those expansions in the re- new regions, um, at least for the soon foreseeable future. So I'm excited for it. Um, I know, just like me as uh, as a collector, I'm excited for it <laughs> as well because I don't know. Over the past year or so, it's not something we talk about on this podcast. Not something that um, is generally talked about. I think in Flesh and Blood, it's just like the the market for flesh and blood was definitely uh tanking pretty hard. I think that was because COVID pushed it to unsustainable highs, but at the yeah. same time I was like, damn, what is this gonna <laughs> are we gonna come back? Like is this the new norm? And it does look like with, you know, heavy heavy hitters being sort of I mean, heavy hitters is I think feel like it's been a long time since we've had a good flesh and blood set Um uh, it doesn't mean the other ones were terrible but i feel like it's been a long time since it's been like that was a great set and i think heavy hitters is potentially that um and we're seeing uh sort of a double whammy of expanding to a new region like south korea which you know has like these sort of uh tertiary effects of getting i guess other regions mm-hmm. in asia excited for whenever their time is coming but also it's on it's coupled with um you know a good set like people are getting out and playing the game which I don't know, it's regional based, but with bright lights, like from what I heard in my region, it wasn't great in terms of like people wanting to actually get out there and play that set.
1: Mm. Uh, definitely done a I think it's a great set to be launching into new markets with. So yeah, very exciting. There's some some kickoff events. If you per chance happen to be a listener in South Korea, then amazing for you. There are some kickoff events happening uh, in South Korea. You can go check those out again on the Fab TCG website. Road to Nationals kicked off this past weekend. Draft and CC, as we talked about. Uh, if you are looking to play a Road to Nationals again, head to the Mothership, check out where to find an event near you. As I said, I'm playing a couple this weekend, looking forward to it, very excited, finally going to get to play some Road to Nationals. Draft, first up, then playing a CC. Um, and, yeah, I think that's kind of everything he's really printed.
0: Yeah, should be fun.
1: Come on, a cookout time. We're gonna hit to YouTube comment section for a couple of hand selected ones, and I'm gonna start with with uh, this one from BB Paintball, which you know we talked a bit about testing last week, and I know you talked about about process, Brendan. Uh, but uh, BB Paintball says, I feel like you guys are rudderless in your testing because you don't have heroes you actively enjoy besides Kano, which keeps getting disrespected. <laughs> I don't know if that's a bit of a dick there. <laughs> uh, since I've been in this game, I've always played at least two heroes that have different matchup pros and cons so that I always have a viable option. I've switched to classes since then and have enjoyed the process. I started with Warrior slash Brute because of Classic Battles. I've since added... was it, that's f- Or just a side, that's the first person I've heard say they got into Classic Battles. <laughs> um, I've since added Wizard and Ranger. Without Elsa... Oh, ooh, I, I think that's Iceland. Right, right, I have three classes now and I focus on trying new angles for matchups as sets and metas develop. I don't know what do you think about that comment, Brendan, in regards to what you spoke about last week around process. And you're just being labeled as a Kano main,
0: nothing else. One trick. Wow. Um, I don't know if my testing is brotherless. I wouldn't describe it as that, but there definitely is. Uh, There's not a lot of decks I actually enjoy playing. That's true. I mean, a lot of the decks I enjoy have rotated out of the format. It doesn't mean it just it, it means I'm at a point where a lot of this stuff is. Uh, it's just mid-rangey to an extent um i don't enjoy that gameplay doesn't mean i'm not going to play it but yeah the heroes that i truly enjoyed playing that i would have played just you know on a saturday afternoon for fun with my friends like most of those are gone so that 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 is true but again like we talked about last week's podcast my preparation for something like a pro tour is not rooted in passion for oh do i love playing this deck it's it's nothing like that it's more of a more of a mechanical uh mechanical thing where we're you know, we're going through a process and we're trying to find the best deck. So passion and enjoyability is pretty irrelevant to me at this point.
1: What, um, I'll make a comment on that in a second, because I think we, we can kind of talk about our polar opposites to this, this uh, testing season. But what are, your, what are the decks that you did enjoy playing that have rotated out? I have a feeling that, from my experience, Brendan Patrick loves high-powered bullshit.
0: <laughs> uh, Icelander, um, Chain. I enjoyed OG Prism, uh, to be honest, but only in specific metas. viscerai uh Viscerae still exists but let's be real that deck rotated out and, um yeah those are the heroes that i've enjoyed
1: let's take a band out and then rotated it out yeah <laughs> it's gone it's dead yeah uh, sonata band rosetta thorn rotation uh, i do know what, actually i want I will talk about viscerai a little bit I, I heard some rumblings around viscerai from the weekend and not what i expected i expected to hear things about visceroy otk and i did hear a little bit about that but i also heard about viscerai just aggro which is very very interesting um it's interesting that kind of this is what someone took from the episode last week and i, I can understand it i think i don't feel personally like testing has been uh rudderless at all i i think it's been pretty directive actually i think in terms of what we've been looking at and and really that's personally for me like what is the best deck what are the best uh two decks around that but actually i kind of feel a little bit juxtaposed to Brendan this season where um, majority of what I've been testing honestly is Reiner because I think that Reiner got a real bump in power and uh, I'm super excited to play a hero that I have a lot of affinity for. I think in the last couple of pro tours or you know high level events I've played decks that honestly I haven't been as excited about and it's kind of dampened my enjoyment of the, the testing process and kind of my lead up to the event and this time I've kind of decided, Brendan said to me the other day, we, we joked and I tweeted about locking Reiner. I'm definitely not locked on Rhinar for the PT, but I think that I'm doing my my utmost to to play that hero. Um, I think there's a couple of other heroes I'm particularly interested in. One being, you know, Kasai. The other being Kao, A little bit being Guardian. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, yeah, all, I, I, all
0: the real picks. <laughs> it's like there's there's uh, there's Reiner, and then there's like all the other decks that like everybody's considering. I feel like, right?
1: Yeah, I think people are, I think people are sleeping on Rhinar though. I, I think Rhinar is actually very very good and, and got some significant upgrades in this in this set um comparative to something like Leviathan, for instance which i know people are kind of more focused on as the as the brute that got a bit of a bump um but yeah i mean the actual hero that i'm really disappointed about and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about is dash actually like i would love to dash is another hero that i enjoy quite a lot that you know just doesn't feel i don't yeah, know doesn't like, feel yeah, where I it mean- should be right now
0: well, I mean, why play dash into this brute-dominated meta? Like, what kind of edge are you gonna get? Um, I think dash had some potential game plans that could have been good uh, into this meta game if brute if brute wasn't designed to be the class that just has a lot of item destruction. Like, it's a it's it mashes it up. It's a non-zero upside of brute. This you can just put a few cards in your sideboard that just absolutely dunk on uh, some of these other dash builds. So, yeah um i was also looking at dash uh we tested a little bit and it's just like i can take certain archetypical versions of dash uh that i want to play but there probably is just another hero that does it better at this point especially when we talk about tree frog it's just like uh if i want to play fatigue deck dash is just probably not the play at this point
1: i don't sorry i don't recognize decks. They're not real
0: um- <laughs> dude those are real decks i mean Bro, are you playing right. No. I'm not going to dog Reiner anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to dog Reiner anymore. But uh, uh, Fatigue is a legitimate strategy in this format if uh, Dromai, Dromai gets hated out by Brute, but I don't think it will. I mean, people are just still going to... It seems like, from what I saw from Road to the Nationalists, there's a lot of Dromai out there, which, uh, which is crazy. I would love to see. I would love to see <laughs> this Dromai... Oh, you guys don't know how to play the Kano matchup. You guys don't have your deck built correctly for or not Kano, KO matchup. It's just like, I think that that is just the ultimate copium at this point. Is it possible? Maybe. But do you want to play Dromai into a KO dominated metagame? Uh, it just this feels like no way to me, but who knows?
1: Well, we'll talk about adapting metagames and where that might slot in. Let's go to uh, Milan Pikney 5161. Do you think Vincet will get something great as Prism? or as great as prism it would be fair when you think both of them are released in the same set i think Vinset was at much a much worse place than prism i'm guessing you know prior to heavy Hitters. i mean i i think that's very true right like mm. i think prism is the objectively <laughs> i think uh better better hero in terms of the two of them coming into this class constructed meta yeah but i kind of said it i actually you know i was on the Speed podcast a few weeks ago and flake was like which class needs the most work? And I was like, Roomblade. Roomblade needs the most support and work. Like it, it's a mess of a class, I think. I think, you know, it got printed in a lot of sets. There was a lot of powerful Roomblades. Alice has turned the tap off and it, that class feels a little bit like a mess right now. Uh, a Light Illusions on the other hand got a lot of, you know, it's a loved class. So it did get a lot of support as well.
0: Um, I might be misquoting, but I'm pretty sure I listened to Brian on Flake's podcast say that uh, he's pretty happy with Vincent. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, I could be misquoting, but I, I think that Brian, like the designer behind, you know, I mean, he makes a lot of decisions behind these kind of heroes, is pretty happy with where Vincent is and might believe that Vincent is still in the place that, that people haven't figured it out.
1: Interesting. So he's happy that Vincent is in the Riptide tier. I mean, that, that's fair enough. You know, we can be yeah. happy with things that aren't perfect.
0: It could just be currently in the Riptide tier. Um, you know, it might that's be a couple true. pieces away, but. It is a convoluted deck. I don't think that decks exist anymore, especially not a deck like Vincet. So it's just like, oh, I think if you make the argument that Vincet is not currently in the metagame because players haven't figured out, I think that's crazy. Uh, it doesn't mean there's no sort of convoluted combo decks that exist in Flesh and Blood that haven't been discovered. But if you're saying a functional Vincet deck hasn't been created because people haven't tried enough or the Flesh and Blood community hasn't gotten there yet, I don't think that's the case. I just That could have been the case years ago, but nowadays... um I do think if Vincent is making zero impact on the metagame, it's because he's, you know, the way that it makes sense to build him is just fundamentally underpowered. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, look, there's a world where everyone cuts Arcane Barrier 1 because they feel like, oh, I'm just giving up the Kano matchup or whatever. And, you know, why I play Arcane Barrier 1? What's the point? And then Vincent rocks up with this kind of semi-combo-based build that just throws room chance at your face and plays efficient defensive cards and you die right like yeah. the, you know there's worlds where these decks can exist are they yeah. are they real worlds i don't know <laughs> like, maybe, maybe maybe not but <laughs> maybe that's where
0: runeblade has been relegated to after its dominance it's just, just a really shit wizard deck oh, definitely now. yeah it's just like they maybe they're <laughs> happy with that it's like it's just like it's it has the wizard thesis for its position in metagames like will people have arcane barrier or not but it's just way worse because it's like will people have a single instance or No. or and yeah, they'll probably have a single instance because it's just printed on regular pieces of equipment these days or like functional pieces of equipment. So
1: I think I there's think one thing I can say to to this question from um, Milan. I think it's that we are getting, you know, we've seen three years of, of cycles, you know, and I think it really, really kicked off with uh, the Ranger treatment, right? In terms of, you know, these, these heroes and classes that have been maybe a little bit underserved or, you know, not being at the top tiers of the Flesh and Blood meta alice is coming to the party and wanting to really shake that up and and change it up change the dynasty as, as we go and you know then of course we've seen brute recently um maybe even light illusionist a little bit coming back around i think at some point runeblade is going to have that time in the sun again right like we're going to see cards printed we're going to see heroes that whether it be Vince or it be new heroes that operate on different axes you know something that comes in for viscerai then pushes viscerai across to living Legion, for instance so i wouldn't say that you know, we're not going to get something. I just don't know if we're going to get something soon and it might not be for Vincent either. That's all.
0: Mm. Yeah. Uh,
1: We've got a question from Vilture83. Victor slash Bravo. Bravo seems better, uh, seems to start better, but Victor is stronger mid-game. This is in reference to, you know, you really breaking down why you think Victor is the superior hero right now. And there was another quite uh, long comment that I know you replied to in the YouTube comments as well about kind of, the math equation yeah. that you'd pulled behind Victor and, and average card value and, and why you felt that was really strong. I don't know if you Which want to fun. kind of it's, rehash it's just, that quickly.
0: Yeah. Somebody's just like, why do you, why is like Victor better on the math arguments? Like, because the, the shield, like uh, so metagame aside metagame brutes aside the shield is basically a zero for five um and then you look at like a delta potentially nine value off the hero ability from drawing cards because you free roll the gold uh that's not how it plays out that's not how it actually is metagame is real etc but like that that's the thing it's like the reply to my comment was like oh i think that they're like oh i see what you're talking about but i think you're you're missing some context and it's like yeah that's the point the whole point is that you evaluate a hero based off of the mathematical value of its cards its hero ability its equipment and then you add context later so it's like filter number one and it's like that's why i think that victor is a almost fundamentally more powerful hero than bravo but mm-hmm. you add the layers of metagame into it um you know bravo having relevant on hit effects for specific heroes that are popular it's like it is possible but it it is not the first layer and the first filter we go through when evaluating the power level of a hero. Uh, it doesn't mean we ignore Bravo and then we're just like, Victor is, you know, I'm just determined that Victor is better. She's like when I'm trying to figure out if a hero is worth my time at all, if it if it looks like Bravo, looks something like Bravo, where its hero ability is effectively blank in the value consideration of how how to look at Flesh and Blood, it's like it just gets put on a lower tier than potentially something like Victor, where it's like oh I can basically get nine value off this hero ability, the shield I can have is something like five value. It's like I should probably test this first. Uh, but the whole idea of value, like this, like you know, almost like Michael Hamilton's school of thought, whatever you however you want to think about it, when it comes to Flesh and Blood, is that it is at the it is agnostic of other factors it, it is agnostic of metagame it is not the end all be all of like this is how we evaluate flesh and blood this is how we pick all of our decks and every card that gets into our decks but it is how we it is the first filter we put um sort of in front of everything our first card evaluation hero evaluation etc and i think that while it's not a hundred percent correct it is not the end all be all it's a great 80 <laughs> 20 for like to figure <laughs> out ready. if something is is worth your time or not Yeah, I
1: I agree massively. By the way, and I think that's a really articulate way to put it. And I think people should, you know, they should snip that part out, save it, and uh, if they're ever questioning, kind of, you know, where we start or where I I think a lot of people start when it comes to hero evaluation, it is pure value orientation of the hero. Now, that aside, obviously, as Brendan says, there's context afterwards, and you know, I would point to something like Kana, for instance, Brendan. Yeah, I think you know, you look at their hero ability. It's like, oh, you you know, you pay three to draw a card, and you can you can boil that down to value, but actually. The value if you take it without context that you look at that is bad
0: it's terrible everything but, about like most cards <laughs> in the cano deck literally everything in the cano deck is absolutely dog water except for a three card combo and who the hell builds a deck off of a three card combo but the thing is is like once you go a couple layers deep it turns out it's kind of only a two card combo because the middle card doesn't matter every single card in your deck functions as the middle card but if someone came to me it was like hey i have this shit underrate deck that starts at 30 life that needs a three card combo to do anything relevant i would tell them to walk out the door. Like I would just but you know, there's layers to it. So yeah, the the thing is is like we talked about this a lot when this uh the Icelander deck first hit US nationals and like really made the splash was like if we if we evaluated everything through this lens and it was the end all be all there's absolutely no way we would ever find the Kano deck. And maybe that's because the Kano deck was actually bad and that we're all just brute forcing it. But I do think that context and nuance does matter. It just is, it's not as significant as most people think that are newer to card games um, or evaluate through that context first. I think if you evaluate heroes and the power level of cards through um, through context and nuance first, you're going to have a much harder time than if you do look at it value in a value-oriented manner. manners.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that really what it goes back to is the fact something that we've talked a lot about, we talked about with Brian as well, is that consistency and kind of base level value is typically going to prevail or typically be in a better spot. And that's not meaning always, right? And, you know, it could be 80 20, like Brendan says, it could be 70 30, it could be 60 40, it could be 90 10. But I think, majority of the time, like, I think it's pretty safe to say at this point, and where the, the game is, is that that value piece or just pure numbers is going to get you a better outcome now you know what it's actually i think it is starting to shift and we're seeing some decks with real power spikes start to to move um you know i look at a deck like bolton right if you took that as you say brendan at face value that is like negative value right that is one of the worst value heroes but bolton's pretty reasonable right now and there's a reason for that it's synergy it's power level and it's it's context of the metagame so
0: yeah, and what I do so like when we have heroes like outliers like that, whether it's Bolton or Kano that really do not do well in this value paradigm of flesh and blood, I do wonder if those heroes are actually powerful or if they are experiencing sort of an outlier, right? Where they're doing well right now because the sample size is low, or in the context that you look at this this deck doing well, the sample size is very low. Whether it's Kano at PT one where arcane barrier is not prevalent or it's Bolton at Road to Nationals uh, Week one where they're you know. It just there wasn't that many tournaments, and a couple of good players bought Bolton. It looks like okay, Bolton's legitimate deck. But then when you expand the sample size and you take it to more legitimate tournaments, whether it's the Pro Tour or the World Championships, it doesn't perform as well because that fund like the fundamental when it comes to value um, starts to be more of a hindrance because there's less room that you can make up by just simply outplaying players. Mm, the problem is
1: you can never get to a, a big enough sample size with yeah. controlled variables in flesh and blood, so you kind of have to take a lot of. Um, Contextual data, which you know what I think, repeat like repeat results is is that you know mm-hmm. something like Kano for instance, it's won multiple nationals, it's you know it's showed up at at top eights and and nationals
0: and and, and callings and things like yeah. that, better hard Let me ask so. you a question too, like uh, what a, I'm just going to ask, just answer this question as like blatantly mm-hmm. ask you, sort of outside. of, Is Kano a good deck in flesh and blood? Uh. <laughs>
1: You you want me to just apply whatever meaning for good that I want? to sure, or? Yes or
0: yes or no, and um, yeah yeah yeah. I would say no. <laughs> I would say it's not a good deck. I would say it's not a good deck. I would say it's uh, it's, it's. I would say for the most part, like its its performances um, and its success are outliers. Whether that's metagame context or that's people being ignorant of how the deck works, or it's just like it was it was Kano's lucky day. I think ultimately it is maybe not a good deck. That's my my theory
1: it's it's just powerful like it can just it can just win games so that's kind of thing like i would point to a lot of other decks that i would put below that bar <laughs> yeah of Kano first but i think yeah. we're like, bolton. a side
0: today. <laughs> like Bol- <laughs> bolton's a bad yeah, deck but know. it can't it can't just win games i don't know that's the lumina combo i know that like some of the current iterations of, of bolton are not lumina lumina all in
1: yeah but you can't win all the matchups without that anyway let's uh let's move on let's talk about road to nationals uh 2024 week one and I think the way we're going to do this, Brendan, is we're going to talk through, I kind of uh, wrote some notes out prior to the show just based on what I've, so I went through a bit of a, a deep dive trawl on uh, X, I went to Discord, uh, I went anecdotally through stores that have shared their data and results to try and find out, okay, what's been winning, we don't have any week one, also LSS don't publish metagame data anymore like they used to so it's really hard to get this there's been people in the past community members who have run kind of these these numbers but no one seems to have been done done it so far this season so i had to go and, and do some some personal deep dives and try and find out what i could and basically what i've come up with brendan is a list of what i think it looks like the winners from week one some you know the neutrals And then the losers. And some of this is contextual as well. It's not just pure results based, like, oh, these four heroes and the winners, for instance, are the heroes that have won the most. That's not true. But maybe heroes that have overperformed, heroes that have underperformed expectations, heroes that we didn't expect at all, things like this, and things that might be shaping up to be interesting metagame picks. So I thought let's kind of talk about it in that context. And then, you know, we'll just we'll just get the thoughts. We'll get the thoughts
0: rolling. Yeah. Sounds good to me.
1: Let's start with the winners from week one. And I think the first one we're gonna go to is KO. It looks like it looks to be the best performing hero in terms of win percentage in week one in terms of uh total rotational wins uh taken as a percentage it was kind of expected to be the top dog coming into week one and hasn't really disappointed it's kind of been in a lot of top eights from what i can see Uh, people are seeing this still as the default kind of deck to be and it looks like that hasn't really changed so i would i would class K O really as a as a winner like it didn't fall that's for sure it might have even bumped up over the last uh, last week
0: in my opinion K O is a legitimate s tier deck because it's really powerful. I think it's the most powerful hero in, in the game right now, but also it doesn't have a clear counter. Like, I don't know any clear counters that don't have a, atrocious metagame matchups. Like, <laughs> atrocious. Um, and I don't think we've actually been put in that situation a lot in flesh and blood. But there's a deck mm. that, even if the margins are lower than they have been before, like how far KO is ahead of what the number two deck is, its matchups in this metagame are so consistent. And I don't see there being a clear counter deck that you can bring to beat up on ko where you don't auto lose an insane insane amount of other matchups it's just like well let's yeah go for it
1: let's carry that on then because i think the other winner from the week was fatigue strategies so just anecdotally and, and from what i've seen a lot of people showed up with fatigue strategies to counter ko and kind of the thought process behind this i'd love to hear your thoughts but kind of what what I think the thought process is, this is definitely the same thought process that I've had that I know others kind of within our wider testing group have had is that KO only has a certain amount of damage in the deck. Uh, also, you have to discard cards to play cards. Your biggest spike turns ultimately are actually, you know, you can get into the the high 20s, but typically a cast bones turn uh, with something else, you know, is is not necessarily going to be that high, especially if you play a fatigue deck that can potentially either gain life on those off turns or can push damage. Uh, that has an on hit that forces the KO to reduce their their spike turns and that's kind of what we saw over the weekend so just to, just to be, uh, and I'll ask kind of your thoughts Brendan but the decks that we saw kind of uh, doing this uh, Bravo Fatigue was was out there in a big way obviously off the back of what we saw with uh, I think Charles play maybe the week before at a PTI event um, or Battle Hardened event in, in Hartford uh, two weeks ago uh, we also saw uh, Decimated Dory coming back out again or, or Axis Dory with a Fatigue playing coming back out again you know with things like Steel by Shunt etc uh, we saw um Tekla Vosin, you know, I think at the AGE tournament. I think it was the same event that that um uh, that Charles is at actually sorry and then uh, the other kind of hero that we've seen kind of implement this uh, I guess a little bit to a to a degree has been has been Dash as well so you talked about free frog Dash so I think this has kind of been the 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 strategy I'm saying fatigue is a winner. Fatigue did pretty well this week and you know the idea being targeting KF
0: Yeah I mean we tested that <laughs> believe me uh yeah even though we haven't played fatigue in a long time i think i'm uh i have a soft spot for fatigue just because it's sort of how i got into the game um, you have a soft spot fatigue you hate fatigue well i hate fatigue when it's actually useless and trash which it might be this <laughs> format like it was against chain but fatigue um like it's a deck that i'm always looking at in metagames because it, you can absolutely exploit a sort of underdeveloped metagame where people are not prepared for it because people aren't prepared for it yeah you can win um in my experience, which is, I guess, somewhat limited because of testing, fatigue seems to be a bit more of a week one thing. I mean, we try, like, trust me, we try to do it. Like, okay, you have to first of all, you have to figure out what your fatigue deck is because I don't think it's tree frog dash. So, Bravo fatigue, maybe. Uh, we were trying Teclo. Teclo gets insane value uh, in the fatigue matchup, was trying that. I think ultimately, my issue was I was playing against. KOs that would obviously recognize that I was trying to fatigue them and they would go for more setup turns. And I think that hero has a lot of equity to have these ridiculous setup turns because of cast bones. Um, And just like they get the agile windup, like they're just just freely discarding the windups, getting the mind token, getting the agility token, always going wide. It's just like, it's ridiculous. Um, I think you ca- like if 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 you present a fatigue deck and the KO just plays as like normal game plan doesn't think about anything has no consideration for setting up big turns. Yeah, yeah, you can f- fatigue the deck. Um, I just don't know if you can give that deck a lot of room to set up and still fatigue it. So that's why I like Tree Frog um, or Techlo. Maybe doesn't doesn't feel like it. it's like I think you also need to be putting on pressure. So maybe that's where Bravo comes in but mm-hmm. well, ultimately i would be surprised if fatigue is a strategy that can scale uh with ko adapting to the metagame and you also like let's be real maybe i mean yeah i mean you just have an auto lose into dromai and dromai is represented week one so it was like it was a weird metagame pick week one and i was definitely considering fatigue for something like the pro tour where i figured that uh dromai would have been completely hated out of the format or virtually completely hated out of the format because ko would have been super dominant and then it would have been the time to bring fatigue bring it to rtn week one um yeah, you might catch him chaos off guard, but at the same time, like you you have a legitimate auto loss in a Dromai. And you might be like, "Oh no, I'm playing Bravo. You can fatigue Dr- you cannot fatigue Dromai <laughs> as Bravo. Yeah. You can try, but it's a trash strategy. It's garbage. It's garbage. <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know how like maybe the Dromais don't have any remembrance in their deck, maybe they just sign a yeah. cut ghostly touch cuz they're insane, but that you cannot fatigue a, Drom- uh, a competent Dromai. I will die on that hill. You
1: you can yeah, I would agree you can probably not fatigue. Yeah, it's just like it's probably
0: it's like fatiguing probably. chain back in the day. It's like oh we just fatigue the chains. It's like the most insane strategy ever. <laughs>
1: hey, it it worked for some people. Yeah. um I I think I kind of agree someone fatigue. I think it's look. I think I think it's a a really relevant thing to bring week one to National, so I think people are going to bring it week two. People are going to be unprepared. People are not going to have experience playing against Fatigue. Um, And, you know, I think we saw success for that this weekend. I think ultimately what Fatigue needs to adapt into if it's going to find success continually in this road to national season and then also potentially into pro tour is going to be around a Fatigue by Damage strategy. And that's why I I honestly think Bravo is really the only hero that I think is is interesting to me in that regard because it can actually, on these off turns, like a, a good cast Bones turn, it can actually present something like a Spinal Crush Potentially dominated, right, Brennan, which is, again, a reason why you'd play it as Bravo, right? Uh, or something like a, a choke slam, for instance, backed up by a, a dominator or even maybe yeah. a pummel. I don't know why your deck fatiguing, but I, I think that's where, if, if people are looking to fatigue, I think it's where it's going to need to pivot to. Um, I think pure pure fatigue by blocking is... I, just, I, th- I honestly just think the days of it are kind of gone because decks just have too much damage or can adapt with setup turns too much now.
0: Yeah, the spinal thing... I don't know. I just feel like Spinal's kind of overhyped into KO. Like, I just don't understand. Like, obviously it's relevant, but the fact that they have a pseudo get-out-of-jail-free card in, in the legs, that they can roll. Like, you have, you're you setting up this big pivot turn, you finally get your Spinal off, you dominate it, you, you discard a whole nother card effectively to pay for Dominate, and then they roll a 4 on Scabskins. It's like, you just got freaking owned. <laughs> like They didn't have to set that up. It's just like, I I, I don't know. I just... I feel like every time I've tried to use, like, some of these sort of effects to shut down KO, it's just, like, the fact that they have a piece of equipment that is a, not guaranteed, but a chance to get out of jail for free. Um, mm. It's just, I find it pretty frustrating. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've been, trust me, bro, that was, that was the strategy we were trying with Victor and with Bravo, because Fatigue by Damage Bravo, like, it, it is kind of the value-oriented way of playing the deck. So it yep, just, yep. it was, it was not working fantastic for me. And that doesn't mean that like every time I played Victor or Bravo and the KO is losing. No, I have similar results. It feels, it
1: feels not favored.
0: I have similar results to some people out there that like, but I go on Talishar. I beat every freaking KO every KO. And I'm like, okay. And then I go to testing and I just get my ass kicked. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's just, that's just how it seems to go. And like, that's, that's where I draw my conclusions from. Like, I think it's possible that you can fatigue them. Um, I think you can beat them with Guardian. I, I just ultimately, I come away from all of the testing just being like, this doesn't feel favored. And I don't want to play this deck if I'm not favored into the most popular deck in the metagame, because I have other blind spots in the metagame. Like I'm playing Guardian into Dromai. It doesn't feel great.
1: I think it's um, worth noting, I think, you know, there's kind of, there's two things there. You know, you're talking about these setup up turns and things like that with Bravo. I think if you're looking at the fatigue by damage strategy, you're not setting those turns up. You're taking advantage of, of an off turn from KO yeah. to, you know, to throw your hand. Maybe, maybe Max taking like three damage to throw a crippling or a, or a dominated spine or whatever. But yeah, generally that kind of, you're only doing that if it's free because it's taking cards and disrupting turns to then allow you to take more cards before you then pivot back into defending. So yeah. So I think kind of on the back of that fatigue, you know, I think as a winner from week one, will it continue to be a winner? We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. I think the other winner off the back of that, <laughs> Brendan, is Jermai. Jermai had a really good week one. And I think the reason it's a winner now, it didn't necessarily win a ton of uh, Road to Nationals. It did top eight a reasonable amount by the looks of it, uh, but it did definitely win some. But the reason I think I'm putting in the winners category is that it was looking to be a real dog heading into week one, you know, kind of the the metagame and... In Hartford, it was the, the most played or second most played hero in uh, the, the Battle Harden. Flipped to Liverpool the week later, it's like the 10th most or 8th most played hero or something because the, you know people are seeing how bad the meta is potentially for Dromai. We head into Rhodes Nationals week one and, and Dromai actually has a, a pretty reasonable time. And, you know, I think we can speculate as to why that is. I think it's, you know, fatigue decks showing up. I think it's a diversification of of the meta to a degree in Roads Nationals. It's about regionality to an extent as well. And I think it's about players who know dromai choosing to pick up and, and play dromai i don't necessarily think this is an indication that dromai is a, a good in a good
0: spot in this metagame though <laughs> yeah i mean bro uh, when it comes to that i really don't know what to tell you um i we test with a good amount of players um and we're testing ourselves and i haven't heard a single dissenting opinion that dromai is good into KO. I heard it at the day one uh, you day did, two you did hear it. yeah day one day <laughs> one, day two. There was a couple people, and I mean, some of the best of my players in the world were like, Yeah, it's actually fine uh, they were quit they their opinions were quickly changed, quickly changed. <gasps>
1: You were making fun of me. I remember that. I remember I said, no wow. way Dromai has a good matchup to KO. And then someone quite renowned on the old Dromai Hero posted saying, oh, I've been winning in, against KO I'm testing six and one. And then Brendan says, and I quote Hayden Dale, yeah. Dromai, Dromai cannot beat KO.
0: I, I'm going to tag you because I need you you fuckers to figure it out because I'm tired <laughs> of getting like the polar Oh, I thought opposites. you were trying to no, I just- I like, think I you're s- trying to
1: say that I was wrong.
0: <laughs> I was just trying to point out somebody's freaking wrong here. Somebody yeah. needs to figure this out because these, you guys have the opposite opinion. Um, anyway, yeah. we came around to this, like, <laughs> it's not good. It's really bad for Dromai, basically.
1: Look, I, I think there is, there is probably ways to make it not terrible. Doesn't mean it's going to be good. But I think the thing is, where Dromai goes next is how big is KO in this meta- like you talked about there not being a really clear counter yet. We're gonna talk about some other decks that are shaping up as decks that have reasonable matchups into KO, if not good matchups into KO. Um, but I and I think we're gonna end on a very particular question. But what does that mean for Dromai? Is it enough that Dromai can prey on those decks and have a place in the meta? Like, you know, th- we always talk about level zero, one, two, and three, right? Level zero is like the best deck in the format. Level one is a deck that can target the best deck in, in the format, right? And level two is the deck that targets the deck that targets the best deck in the format, right? So, you know Potentially, Dromai is the level two deck, right? Potentially. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying potentially it could be. Um, you know, If I just took all the results of what we're seeing so far from week one, I would think KO is level zero. Level one is potentially fatigue, fatigue by damage or um, these decks that can control kind of damage output, which there's another hero I want to talk about, which maybe isn't necessarily a winner, but is maybe a neutral. Uh, and then that could mean that Dromai, uh is level two potentially. So I don't
0: know. Yeah.
1: One more winner. Kasai. Kasai had a pretty good week, especially off a couple of really strong performances in the battle hardens in Hartford and, and Liverpool. And sounds like you know, a reasonable number of wins for for Kasai plus some some top eights for Kasai as well. Kasai is an interesting one. I don't really know where Kasai fits into the meta. It kind of feels almost to me like it's KO adjacent like it's it's just strong in general it has good value game plans but I don't necessarily know like what its best matchups are and what it's bad matchups are I don't even know if it has a good KO matchup honestly I'm hearing like mixed things about that matchup so but it seems like Kasai had a a fairly good week one all things considered um considering it was kind of maybe sitting middle of the pack in terms of what people were interested in or what people were talking about but uh ends up having you know yeah a reasonably strong week one
0: yeah Kasai is like my last uh, true blind spot in the metagame. Just haven't gotten around to testing it, mostly because I've been sick. Um, but yeah, so if what you said was true, which is like, oh, it's KO adjacent, um, you know, good power level, I would it, I would rather be on Kasai a million times more than KO because I know if I bring KO, there's a target on my back. But if I bring like this deck that's a similar power level, maybe even similar matchup spread, that's even comparable in power, I you know, I think I'm much less likely to run into decks that are like, over tech to beat me basically so um yeah because size like my last true hope in this (laughs) to be honest i mean i heard dorinthia is pretty good like Mm -hmm. so yeah i've heard dorinthia is pretty good in the k into ko um you know because ko can't just be like dumping its hand to block the whole time um but i try to bring it up in a testing group and people just won't let me unironically talk about (laughs) dorinthia you Uh, you should you should keep pushing it (laughs) keep pushing yeah i don't know. I don't really have faith in it, to be honest, but uh, I just want to find a deck that's not KO. Um, You know, I want to get... It's like this meta reminds me of Pro Tour 2, uh, Mm Leal meta with Briar, and I want to just find a deck that's not Briar.
1: That's it. Let's talk about the neutrals and let's start with Dorinthia. I think Dorinthia you know, had an okay showing this week for all things considered from what I've heard so far. I'm not sure if I haven't heard of a, a win at a Rhodes Nationals for Dorinthia but I have heard of multiple top eights and a lot of different builds and people specifically trying to target KO, whether that be with Decimator builds, with um, Axes builds, with, you know, uh, just typical Dawn Braid builds. And I think some of those builds okay there's i think there's like two kinds of schools of thought there from what i've seen of dorinthia so far it's like yeah kind of similar idea of being this fatigue deck that kind of just um has has too much like defensive value and can fatigue by damage in the in game versus these kind of decks that are like okay well you don't defend that well and i have a dawn blade and if i can stack counters like i just deal the most damage and i'm going to do that in a way that means that you you can't beat me i i think that way is more interesting to me honestly because mm-hmm. i i just I really don't think that Decimator Axe Dory is good. I I don't think that deck's ever been good. Um, But, you know, there's been some upgrades and I I think Dawnblade Dorinthia potentially has a spot in this meta as just a deck that goes, well, if you can't defend well, because really if if you force KO to start to pivot into any kind of defensive cards... Out, honestly, outside of e- even once you put No Fear in your deck, they're diluting the power of their cast bones turns. They're diluting the power of any kind of like wind up hands. They're just they're just diluting their power. So if you force them to do that, you're gonna have a better chance at, at beating them anyway. And then if you have the if you just have a deck that's set up to either push the damage or trade value with them, I, I think that's good. I honestly think that's a good
0: place to be. Yeah, and then you run an all in by Darentia deck and do a fatigue deck, and you actually auto lose. so soon Okay, but like.
1: I you're, mean, you're, you're so, uh, yeah, one, right? if, you,
0: if you actually could be KO, yeah, fair. I'd be down to do that. I hundred percent would bring that back. Um, I just don't know. I just, I just don't know uh, how much better Dorinthia is than KO at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that's the reason, though. So, yeah. uh other neutrals, I think Brendan that we've kind of seen. I think Prism, obviously coming off the back of a battle hardened win the prior week, sounds like a number of top eights for Prism. Uh, maybe even a win or two in there as well for Prism. So sounds like you know, maybe is as real as people have kind of been touting it to be. It's obviously powerful. How much that continues to be the case, obviously, we're going to see Prism do the Prism of old where it continues to kind of put up played numbers, but the conversion is is bad, I guess we'll see. But, you know, this Prism has an interesting spot in the meta. Uh, You know, maybe it's a case of you're dodging everything, not named. you know, you're dodging everything named KO, but you're pretty good into everything else. Um, I'm not sure, but Prism had a, a fairly good week one.
0: Yeah, it's thirty-two life. I just feel I, okay. So I know that Prism <laughs> is at thirty-two life, but it gets quite of a bu- quite a buffer because the figments have ward. You know, yes. it has a good defensive capability, but thirty-two life is a big ask. And my opinion is that it is a fragile deck, like Kano, that does not ha does not do Kano things. I don't. It doesn't mean I don't think it can win games. It just it seems like the life total is a bit too low for what the payoff is. In my opinion, so far,
1: I I do think I don't necessarily disagree. I think one of the things we are seeing, you know, because K- Kano has that button, right? You push the button, and oh look, I win the game. I do think Prism kinda does have the bit I don't know if you've played Prism yet in testing I or just played against it where they where they've done the like the rolling tomes, where they just roll tomes okay. and just draw like yes. that. That is just like an I win button, That's and, it. and that.
0: That line is infinitely less... Not, we could quantify it if we want to do the math, but it is so much less likely than Aether Wildfire because Aether Wildfire has multiple tutors and has a replaceable arsenal and has Ragamuffin's hat, has consistency of the deck build. and that, you're literally just looking for a single card in your deck. I don't know. I mean, yes, you're right. Tome and a Tome and a Tome is as busted as it used to be. It's, it's...
1: I, it's just easier to pull off now because you thin your deck out and you can, your, your figments allow you to get into a spot to be able to do that um i think plus you you have on board uh angels where you can start to like diversify your plan and then eventually pull into like even double tome is, is very strong so i agree it's not as consistent but it is a it is a close to Iwin button in certain matchups and like prism does have power in it but again starts at 32 doesn't quite have the same consistency as a of an i button and um you know obviously still has the poppers problem so but yeah. a good first week
0: overall i'm just so i'm so tired like after playing Kano for so long I'm so tired of playing like these like janky fragile underpowered decks that like sometimes do the cool thing because I think uh, Prism is fun to play like you get to put out these figments you get the two to your deck constantly you get to touch a lot of cardboard to draw a lot, you can draw a lot of cards I think that feels good but ultimately when I play the deck I feel like it is it is like I'm just like with Kano I feel like I'm hitting some Copium if I'm saying that deck <laughs> is like actually in a good position
1: uh well, I got not screw <laughs> <laughs> Guardians, I'm going to group the Guardians next. And I think depending on where you thought they were heading into week one, you'd either put these in the neutrals or the losers, I think. Um, I, I think they're kind of borderline. It sounds like Victor and, and Bravo, not particularly great weeks, but fatigue um, did do very well. And I saw a lot of like OA, top Swiss with Victor, lost first round with Victor, actually. I saw that multiple times uh, from a, a few notable players, actually, which is quite interesting. Um, and uh, basically, it sounds like, yeah, people will kind of feel the same thing. Victor has a very solid matchup spread in terms of uh, the game plans it can come up with and the value. And then people running into, oh, I ran into Dash in the top eight, or, you know, I ran into X in in top eight, you know, I ran into uh, Dromai, whatever it is. Um, So overall, I think I'd probably put the the Guardians and the Neutrals. I think they came in as, you know, they were, I think after... Us talking kind of heavy hitters release. We talked, you know, um Hartford, and then we talked Liverpool. I think off the back of Liverpool, you know, Guardians down a little bit, maybe Bravo slightly higher. I think as it turns out, you know, the week one it sounds like I probably put them in the neutral camp. Victor had a, a fairly good week. It sounds like, and, and Bravo kind of did as as expected. Maybe Bravo is more in the loser camp. I don't know. I, I feel like I didn't hear, it, or I wasn't able to see or find as much information on, on Bravo's doing well. But you know, we we know Bravo players are, are very quiet and they're very reserved. So I
0: don't know yeah that's what they are they're definitely not like at the first sign of any minor success like playing through is actually playable in this game um yeah it's 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 tough because legendary studios is not releasing metagame stuff i've been actually reflecting on this a lot um just like the current state of flesh and blood with all the online analogs people getting in a lot of drafts but also just talishar in general and how accessible that that has made gameplay and how it's affected the metagame and preparing for major tournaments and um it's tough because like all of the things actually do have their own benefits. There's definitely purists that are like, Oh, only play in person, you know, screw all the online stuff. It's all net negative. You know, I I don't listen to that, but I do wonder if flesh and blood is just a better game when things are more ambiguous and, you know, it is maybe harder to access. Like I think about back, you know, it's just like the boom, but I'm like, oh my boomer, because I think about back in the day when we used to play on like webcam. Things were a bit more imperfect. We were tracking our own data a bit more manually, and um, I think I did enjoy it a little bit more then. Anyway, on to that point, we're not releasing metagame stats. Probably, it's hard to say if it's better or not, but right now I think it might keep things a little bit more fresh. It's hard to say better or worse, but it might keep things more fresh.
1: Yeah, I think it's fair. Do you do you want to talk a little bit about Talishar data? I, I've got the Talshar yeah. data up in terms of most played heroes and things like that. If that's if that's helpful,
0: yeah, it's it's also about like Talishard data, but more just like uh, it being used as a tool for people to get lots and lots of games, especially like high level players. Um, not related to what you were yeah. talking about, but I do think that Legendary Studios, um, especially if James wants to go out there and say he wants to be uh, a billion dollar revenue company, mm-hmm. um, they are absolutely leaving an insane amount of money on the table by <laughs> not doing anything not digitally digital yeah yeah yeah. because like uh, the game, like flesh and blood is a digital game period period Story studios is just not capturing any of that revenue and they will realize that sooner or later and whether that means they take down the online analogs or if they make their own uh, i think it's going to be one or the other because i think latest story studios wants a piece of every piece of revenue they can get um and yeah i mean like flesh and blood is a digital game I believe that.
1: Uh, let's just quickly aside to some TeleShot data. Just we we talked through the neutrals, and then we'll finish up with some of the losers. But just if, if people are curious about what, what's kind of been, you know, what data is available. I mean, in terms of most played heroes through February on on TeleShot, I mean, it's, it's not no surprise really that uh, it's Ko number one, and then Kasai and Victor. You know, the new heroes kind of uh, closely following behind. Well, you know, probably about thirty. 40% less. But then there's some interesting ones after that, some heroes that are kind of the next tier of played, uh, most played, and, and that's uh, Prism, and Azalea, and Dorinthia. Those are like the next four kind of group of heroes in terms of of um, plays this this uh, February so far, which I think is quite interesting because I think those are all heroes that, you know, we've not necessarily seen as much from so far. They didn't necessarily perform in the Battle Hardens, um, but they, they could be heroes that, you know, do well. They are str- I think they're all strong heroes to be honest yeah um let's talk quickly about just win percentage on on because i do think that's always interesting and and the one that always it's always an outlier I don't know, dromai has the highest one percent uh in, in the month of feb so far at 57 percent, which i always find interesting especially in if, if how much people are playing into ko uh, um you know feels like that that wouldn't necessarily be the case but that has the there's the highest one percent and even you know it's it's kind of wimpsing into ko is like Forty eight percent apparently. So I don't know. I don't know. Telestra data, right? Um just quickly to top that off, Kasai, fifty five percent. Uh and then you've got some heroes like uh, Bolton at fifty one, Victor at fifty four, Vicera at fifty one, Kano at fifty one, um uh, fifty three for dash, fifty two
0: yeah. for, for Are those Tori. adult hero win percentage? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's not counting yeah, like those draft games. Okay, class constructor. No, wow. class constructor, right? <laughs> Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of that, to be honest. I don't know like what sort of other variables are being added into mm-hmm. Shark? is obviously it's not like uh it's not like an, an, an anonymous queue where you queue up for a game and then you're locked in. Um like people kind of get to choose what they play against as well. Yep. Like like if I was playing Dromai and I wanted to you know, test the hero and I've already gotten my ass beaten testing, if you test my KO, I'd probably write no KO <laughs> um, because it's the most played deck. <laughs> so there's like, I don't know if those factors
1: accumulate yes, enough agree.
0: to be relevant, but there probably are other things going on um, that contribute to that data.
1: Yeah, and there's, there's things like, you know, people using this platform for testing with their friends on specific matchups and things like that as well, right? So there is, there is that piece to it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about the rest of these neutrals uh, quickly so we've talked about the guardians prism uh, Dorinthia. let's talk a little bit about azuri i think this one's particularly interesting azuri yeah. seems like a, a hero that might potentially be placed well to attack a ko metagame i was surprised to see less than i expected from azuri over the weekend whether that's and it's hard to know whether that's results based like people did play azuri it just didn't do well but people traditionally azuri's kind of been underserved right and hasn't necessarily had the results obviously won a calling uh back end of last year but hasn't necessarily been the best positioned hero especially with lexi leaving the kind of the i guess the the story or the analog was like well you know azuri's best matchup is gone now so that hero just kind of falls off a cliff but potentially a new best sort of position for azuri is as an A K meta
0: yeah i mentioned that there was like uh that kasab is the last deck i'd hoped for um yeah. i will admit that there is a sprinkle of hope for azuri <laughs> A sprinkle but i haven't tested it yet sprinkle.
1: fair enough yeah i i want to get in some games with azuri um i uh, i have this real problem i don't like azuri just as a a, a fund i don't like assassin i think it's my least favorite class in flesh and blood so i really don't want to play azuri but definitely need to do some testing with it
0: yeah, I mean I've been testing uh, I've been testing a lot of things I don't like. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> Flesh and Blood is just a bit mid rangey right now. Um which is like yeah, that might be I've fantastic been. for a lot of people, but I'm not a not a big mid rangey guy. Just like yeah. tossing I don't back damage. Love, yeah, I don't love mid range mirrors necessarily.
1: Yeah. Bolton, Kano, last two on the neutrals list uh, in terms of their weeks. You know, Bolton had, just a, had a couple of results and sounds like had a couple of results over the weekend as well. Uh, and and Kano, I think, you know, came in with a result or two from Battle Hardens and sounds like, you know, a couple of top eight. So I've, I've kind of put them at the bottom of the neutrals at the moment, I think, Bolton and K- Kano.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, what do people want me to say about Kano? It, just like... It, You've already said it all. So. Yeah, I've said um, it all. I've said it all. I don't think that it is... Uh, particularly well positioned i don't think that the ko matchup is particularly good either like i think KO has access to um you know this abundant amount of resources it has a what i would call cheap access to arcane bear but then also KO starts at 30 life doesn't take a lot for Ko to present thirty damage. I'll tell you that the margins are thin to find that combo, and Kano does nothing outside the combo—virtually nothing. Uh, maybe you hit a Sonic Boom and a Sonic Boom, Sonic Boom one time, but outside of that, like that deck needs to find the combo. Uh, and if there's this this deck that can present a lot of damage, has cheap access to Arcane Barriers, the most popular deck in the format, it's just there's not no great. Fear. Yeah, and then you also have Literally. like you have like Jermai, who Jermai is very beatable, especially the red one list, but um you know like the Jermai player goes like turn one damai uh tom yeah i mean tom yeah, <laughs> that card should not exist in flesh and blood by the way tom is just a terrible a terribly designed card and just leads to all feels bad situations uh so fun. it's a terrible, terrible card terrible design uh, but yeah it's just like Jermai is like a whatever ma- there's no there's like there's all these matchups with K- with kano just like they're not consistent they're just not consistent whatsoever. And then you have the additional variable where your opponent has complete agency, whether they want to add a million hate cards into their deck mm-hmm. as well. It's just like, why? Well, I take the gamble. Sometimes, you know, you might run hot. and it might, and By the way, <laughs> the position you have to be in as a Kano player to take advantage of running hot is like you have to be an exceptionally good Kano player. So like the floor of doing well with that deck is already so high, it just doesn't seem worth it. It's like you have to be extremely well practiced in the deck, you have to make almost zero mistakes, and you have to get extremely lucky. I don't know. I don't know. Like I think the deck is fun to play. I think you touch a lot of cardboard, but just doesn't seem well positioned. Hayden, what are your thoughts on Bolton?
1: I I think we we kind of talked about it at the top of the show, I think. Um I think it's powerful. Whether that means it's got a good enough position in this this meta And to overcome especially its kind of fundamental issues i i I don't know i think honestly a lot of the matchup is it's going to rely on lumina um and uh, lumina ascension i think is is a great card but there's only so far that that can go um so we'll see we'll see um i want to talk losers before we wrap up and i think there's a there's a couple of key ones The, the first one i want to talk about actually is azalea because i saw and gathered a lot of information of azaleas having tough times this weekend and a lot of people playing warmongers apparently in their decks which i have seen that in a lot of less people playing warmongers as a kind of free splash and, and really just hitting the azaleas in a and a meta that's already not particularly great for azalea i think i think azaleas are struggling a bit against ko there's obviously you know victor is a new guardian uh bravo kind of you know is is seeing a reasonable play so all things uh from you know all accounts azalea really tough tough weekend for azalea uh, and a hero that honestly should have come out of the back i think what well, i thought coming out of the back of of lexi ban and hitting into lexi living legend and hitting into hitting into heavy hitters is a hero that would be in a, a really good position just as a powerful
0: choice yeah but then like heavy hitters has some op heroes like <laughs> uh they does like uh ko is ko is borderline overpowered i know it's because there's specific cards but yeah and then i think that victor i just think victor is a really really good guardian as well and i think that will scale for like the, the next year or so if we get into a metagame that is less hostile to victor um i think that that hero will be a bit of a terror for a while because it is has such a good value exchange and then we just have the traditional uh really really good guardian cards where they're able to add you know they have very good attacks they're very good defending they have great weapons and they also have access to defense reactions that they can easily splash in their deck um yeah just heavy hitters printed some really really powerful powerful heroes
1: fine katsu losers of the weekend i think for sure uh very tough i'm not that they came in as a as a high kind of tier picks i think but i think i spoke in the pod last week about being surprised about the lack of fine and um fine katsu again not particularly great weeks for them the other two would be i think the i'm gonna start with Levi because there's been a lot of hype about Levi. people talking about Levi being s tier being a tier being one of the best ticks in the format and from, from what I've heard from week one is that uh, Levi not, not particularly putting up the results that uh, people were maybe promising or thinking. And I, honestly, it just seems like a lot of that is off the back of the fact that still does Levi things and still has Levi problems of, you know, losing to itself, putting itself into positions where it has to play specific ways and the opponent being able to punish that. Um, and honestly, outside of yellow agile windup, I don't, I don't think that deck's yeah. gotten a lot.
0: Um, yeah, I know that Levia has Levia problems, but my issue with Levia in this metagame is, is uh, my same issue with Reinar, which is just why. Why would, you play, why would you play Levia, why would you play Reinar over KO? I think that both those heroes are playable in their own right. Uh, they might not be the best deck in the metagame, but uh, what is the overall compelling reason to play that over KO at this point?
1: I think for Levia, it's, it's damage output. Damage output in Levia is, is higher than, than KO, but it's less flexible um, and it has a much... Tougher time in, in the in-game than than Ko, uh, and then if you want to ask about why play Reiner, well, it's I I think it's it's defends better. It just defends better. If you want a deck that can defend better than Ko, then it's it's Reiner, uh that has an in-game combo. One
0: of these days, I'm I want you to be honest and just answer be like because it's cooler. <laughs> That's why you play Reiner. I mean, it's obviously cooler. <laughs> it's Yeah, obviously, it's cooler. <laughs> you just you just you just cooler if you play Reiner.
1: But I I, I think I think there's going to the decks that i kind of come out of these next few weeks are going to have to present some form of on hits and pressure and Rainer just deals better with that and -hmm. also deals better with fatigue it deals better with in-game situations than than ko does uh not just saying it's more powerful but that's kind of what I think is appealing about, about Rhino right now. And then I think lastly, Dash. Uh, I think Dash, again, should have been in a particularly good spot, but whether it be through a combination of the Brutes, a combination of just everyone you know kind of sitting in this mid-range and Dash not being able to flex like it usually does to either a more aggressive or a more defensive plan as uh, has hurt Dash in this first week? I think that'll change, honestly. Dash is just so versatile that I think Dash can never really, truly be bad, honestly. I can see that.
0: I think it's fair. Yeah. I would, I would definitely have uh, a to ever call that deck bad. <laughs> I want to wrap
1: up and I, I don't want to ask this like the, the, the obvious question. I mean, there's one question we always ask at the end of each pod uh, during the season as we know Brennan, but I oh, feel like way. let's at least just address it. Let's just address it. Do you think that KO needs to be hit bands at all
0: oh shit <laughs> uh no i mean they legendary studios just broke all their own rules with cast bones like they did it on purpose like uh um, yeah it'd be kind of weird for them to walk back that with a band but if you're like oh my god KO is so busted and cast bones is so broken it's like yeah i know like anybody who can do arithmetic knows that i mean it's just not up for a debate like cast bones is a broken card in KO. Um, I think No Fear is pretty close as well. I know it has some deck building implications, but yeah, they I don't know it's just like that's that's the point. <laughs> like that's the point. We had like how many sets that have zero impact on class constructed? Like the set is powerful it is and it is powerful on purpose so yeah they i don't see them banning anything not for a long time and it's just it would be a bad luck to be like hey we finally released some playable cards and some meta impactful heroes um, in flesh and blood in the past 2 years Oh, let's go ahead and just ban them out of the format. It would just be bizarre, right? It's like okay, Um, they they did it on purpose. Like they're not idiots. Like I know people might think they are if they're like, oh, Cast Bones are so clearly broken. It's I did the math. It's a zero for eight. It's like, dude, they know that. They know that. They did that one hundred percent on purpose, and it's intentional. And like Hayden has said a million times on this podcast. Cast Bones is a busted card, but it's not nearly as busted in Lavaha or Rinar, So, yeah, I just I think that the the developers um and designers behind Flesh and Blood like they're pretty aware of they were they are probably not surprised by the current meta game.
1: Yeah, agree. Yeah, no, I I mean I no my answer is no, and I think it's it's clearly possible. But also my main reason is that Ko is very linear has to be built in a very specific way because the deck building constraints are really really high some of the highest we've seen in in class constructed i think in terms of being able to play and support those powerful cards
0: i think a lot of the unfortunately i think also like a lot of the most powerful decks in Flesh and blood were pretty were pretty linear and had they maybe had the illusion of being built in different ways but there really was just like an optimal way to build them um i think back to chain i think back to briar um Maybe old him to an extent, but uh, Prism, Prism was the same. So like a lot of those decks, they, you know, they were kind of locked in in terms of how to build them. I know some people were dissenting and tried to build different versions of them, but let's be real. Uh, I think that the, the lack of flexibility for KO as like the downside of KO, because there is, I mean, your list is pretty, pretty stock standard. I just don't think it's that much of a downside considering the power level. It's not even
1: the way it has to be built. It's not the, it's not necessarily like, you know, you have to build it this way and having a linear, like single build is, is weak. It's like, what does that mean? It means that the deck can't particularly, like you look at something like Prism. It's like, yeah, you, you know, you built it in a particular way because those were the, the good cards, the ways that you built it. Didn't mean it defended. I don't know what's going on my screen right now. <laughs> <after the video. laughs> I, saw you,
0: I just saw people listening on audio platforms, we were are going to confused, but I saw you literally try to dodge it with your head. You were like... <laughs> He's like getting static, um, and he's like, "Dodge!" Okay.
1: Make sure you can see me. But but okay. But the thing is, is like those decks, the chains, the the prisms of the world, like they're really powerful. But they could also still flex. Like chain could block well, prism could defend and play offense. I, I just think the ko piece yes the deck looks pretty self-built to an extent but also beyond that like it also just has i think it just has more weaknesses like you can target it a lot more but how do you target anyway, it, we'll so. see how that actually plays out
0: how do you how do you target here because i feel like uh, I feel we like just tar- talked about it we just went through it <laughs> yeah i just don't feel like it's actually very tall i feel like it's like a copium target you know like i don't feel like it's actually very targetable in the current meta game. i think that like there are strategies that can be implemented against it but ultimately i do think that ko can uh Quite, quite easily overcome, like all of them. That's like my—that's my only issue with the deck, because I think the deck is actually super resilient at this point. We'll see. see. I don't
1: think it's as powerful as some of those other decks. So I don't I think th- that's, uh, what, that's also- Are think.
0: there any clear counters you think in the metagame for KO? Mm,
1: still need to do testing. I—I I think I—I I can't say directly clear, but I, I think there's some. Looks like some solid ones. Yeah. All yeah, right. Which we, which we talked about. Hey. <laughs> if you haven't listened to the pod, then you haven't listened to the pod yeah well hayden's fading into the matrix
0: so we'll close it out <laughs> um
1: well i know you've answered the last question that we answer every pod just one word it's fine which deck are you playing this weekend if you're heading to Road nationals
0: um yeah that's complex i probably would have played uh i don't know uh again so like i took a few days off testing because i was sick but i was before i got sick i was going down the rabbit hole of fatigue uh like that's the strategy I was implemented in because I didn't know everybody else was thinking about that strategy. I actually didn't. So I was surprised when you're like, Oh, fatigue was like a big winner. I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, I would, I would, I would, uh, I would love if fatigue was a good strategy for the pro tour because then I could just find my, find my, find my 60 and just go sit on a beach, drink some wine and chill and just fucking block people. <laughs> I wish that was the case. I do. So, um, I don't know. I, I don't, know. I don't know what I would have played, Hayden. I, I really don't at this point. Uh, I was going down the rabbit hole of fatigue. I do think the chaos is the best. Um, so, I don't have the answer. You can say chaos. Yeah, I don't have any answer. What would you play? Azuri. Okay. Okay, I have zero experience with Azuri, but... Hope, hope, I have hope. Maybe ignorant hope, I mean, but I have hope.
1: <laughs> that's the dick that I think like looks the most interesting to me this week. I, I mean, I'm not going to play Azuri. I'm going to play Reiner. But what <laughs> I'm saying is... <laughs> you know. I think Azuri looks like a potential interesting interesting pick.
0: Yeah. All right. <laughs> what deck? What deck would I play in road to nationals? I would draft. <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> I probably would. I'm gonna play. do both. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Take us out. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, the number one thing you do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We read every single review, and it helps us out so 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 much. Video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com/slash Arsenal Pass. Uh, Twitter is at Brendan APG. If you haven't no underscore Dale um and yeah spent, big shout out to all of the arsenal pass patrons you really help us do what we do we're working on the deck packs but a little bit derailed because um i the travel hating to travel so I'm trying to get back into it get back in there with testing and yeah we're really trying to find our decks to be honest like um i think there's one thing we try to do in arsenal pass try to try to strive for quality make sure that the decks actually put out are things that we believe in that we would play um so yeah so we're cooking it up but thank you all so much for listening we'll see you next week